Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The InDesigner, the video podcast for designers using and learning Adobe InDesign. I'm your host, Michael Murphy, graphic designer and Adobe certified expert in InDesign CS2. And this is episode 29, in which we're going to discuss photo composition within InDesign. But first, I've got a big announcement about an exciting new development that I want to share with everyone. I've teamed up with David Blattner and Anne-Marie Concepcion, the world-renowned gurus from the InDesign Secrets podcast and website, to be the video guy on their team. Now, for some people, change is scary, but fear not. Nothing will change for you, the audience. If you're subscribed to the podcast, you'll still be subscribed. If you like to read my blog, there will still be a blog to read. If you've bookmarked theindesigner.com, your browser will still find it, but it will also bring you into the larger world of indesignsecrets.com. We all decided that there's strength in numbers, both for us and for the many people out there who are hungry for InDesign knowledge, and we believe that together, Together, we can bring even more great information, instruction, and insight to even more people. Okay, enough about that. Let's get on with this week's topic. This is episode 29, and we're going to talk about photo composition. By now, just about everyone knows that InDesign allows you to place native Photoshop or PSD files, and I've talked a lot in previous podcasts about the advantages of this, especially where it applies to transparency. But using native files in your InDesign layouts, which you should all be doing by now, is just the start. We're going to take a look at some ways to mostly take Photoshop out of the equation and create image compositions right in your InDesign pages. Don't get me wrong, I love Photoshop, but I also believe in thinking flexibly and playing to the strengths of every application I know. If I can do a better job in InDesign than I can in Photoshop, then that's what I'm going to do. Whatever gets the job done best and fastest. So let's jump right in with our first example. I call this one, Back the Truck Up. This opening spread for a magazine feature creates the illusion of a low depth of field photograph due to this gas pump in the foreground being out of focus while the truck behind it, with this painted on text, is in sharp focus. But what happens if I need to make a change? What if I need to back the truck up? Okay, I added the sound effects for a laugh, but what you just saw happened right on the InDesign page. The truck and the gas pump are not a composite image. They are two separate images composited right in the layout. Starting with this blurred gas pump, let's take a look at the original images in Photoshop. The gas pump has been blurred, which is something Photoshop can do that InDesign can't. The original was a razor-sharp photo, but to use it that way would have created a very flat image in the layout and looked much less realistic. I made sure that the blurred version kept the transparent background, allowing its soft edges to interact with the truck image placed behind it, which is itself a Photoshop file where I added the driver's wanted type on the side. But once those Photoshop effects are added, I can do everything else I need to do right here in InDesign. When I zoom in, you can see that the two images together in the layout maintain the appearance you'd expect if you were looking at a layered Photoshop file, except I can move the truck image independently of the gas pump, which I couldn't do if this was a single-placed PSD file. 
what that does is give me the flexibility to adjust or change this spread, moving or resizing each image independently to allow for changes in the layout, and I can do it all right from InDesign without ever having to go back to Photoshop. Let's take a look at another example of InDesign-based photo composition. I call this one When Worlds Collide. Here's a magazine cover with a global theme, and it has this illustration of three globes, each featuring countries on different hemispheres. But like our last example, this one is not an illustration placed in InDesign. It's a collection of illustrative elements composited in InDesign. The Layers palette is where I can reveal how the pieces of this image all came together. If I deselect all but the background texture layer and start showing layers one by one from the background to the foreground, you can see that these are all separate elements that come together right in this InDesign document to make up the final cover design. Everything on this page can be moved and transformed independently, allowing me to modify or completely rework the entire composition without ever leaving InDesign all of which can be quickly and easily undone without altering a single pixel in Photoshop. Let's take a look at some of the detail in where my text, image, and background meet. Notice how the transparency and levels of noise in both the drop shadows and images all blend together. The slightly soft edges, shading, and noise are part of the original Photoshop image, which is what Photoshop is good at. But to put it all together and experiment with the layout, I can do it all right here. First, I'll option-click or alt-click on the PC on the background globe layer to select its contents, and control-click or right-click on the graphic frame and choose Graphics, Reveal in Bridge. This launches Adobe Bridge, where I can see that image and the others in the folder, the two other globes and the background texture, all of which are separate PSD files. They've all had texture, shading, and other effects applied, which is Photoshop's strong suit but arranging objects on the page is a job for InDesign, so let's go back there. First, I'll quickly hide all of the layers except the background and the background globe. In addition to the effects applied to the original in Photoshop, I wanted to add more of a glow around each globe in the layout, so I created an object style to do that. In the options for this object style, I've used the drop shadow and feather settings to create an outer glow effect by setting my offset values to zero, with a small blur value, a little bit of noise, and using the paper swatch. Activating the layer that contains the middle globe, you can see that the same object style is applied to that placed image, and the same goes for the globe in the foreground. Let's take a look at another layer in this file. If you saw episode 15, this lighting effect layer might ring a bell. I'll turn on the lighting effect layer and shut off all the other layers, and you can see that there's nothing here but a frame with a radial gradient fill using a gradient swatch, and a transparency blend mode of multiply at 64%. It doesn't look like much by itself, but when placed over the background, it creates more depth by adding a light-to-dark transition from the center out to the edges, especially when placed over the background globes, but beneath the foreground globe, making that image pop more on the page. Placing the logo on a layer behind the foreground globe adds even more depth, and the cover cell lines and other elements complete the effect and the layout. So here again, as in our last example, I can select, 
move, and resize any of the globe images independently, making as many size and position changes as I want. I can rearrange the type to better suit the new position of the images, and change the stacking order of the layers to create an entirely new composition. And I can do it all within InDesign, while maintaining that photographic look and feel. I have one last example that demonstrates how this capability isn't limited to two-page spreads or magazine covers. It can be applied in different ways on a much smaller scale. This one, with apologies to Jimi Hendrix, I call, excuse me while I fake the sky. Here's a page that has the body of a main article flowing through it, but it's broken up by this sidebar box which contains a couple of images. At the top is this building photo that breaks out of the sidebar and overlaps a portion of the header bar. Now, as simple as this looks, the only way to get a partially silhouetted image like this to break out of its own background, a tinted background in the layout, and other elements on the page, is to painstakingly draw a clipping path in exactly this shape all the way around the image. Besides being tedious, this also prevents me from making fast changes. If I need to reposition this image and show more sky behind it, I'd have to go back into Photoshop and edit that clipping path. But where there's a will, there's a workaround, so I'll just Option double click this image, or Alt double click on the PC, to open it in Photoshop. Hey, I don't see any sky here, do you? All I see is a lot of checkerboard transparency behind this building. So now you're probably thinking I'm going to open another Photoshop file with a picture of the sky, right? Well, I'm not. I'm going back to InDesign to show you exactly what's going on here. If I command click on the image, you can see that I've selected what's behind the photo, a frame that is the exact same size as my visible sky. And if you look at the fill swatch, you can see that it's filled with a radial gradient, which was created right here in the swatches palette. Let's pull out that frame and have a look at it. As you can see, my sky is nothing more than a frame filled with a radial gradient between two shades of blue that are just convincing enough to look like the sky with what's showing behind the photo. Since the gradient frame is the same width as the photo it falls behind, it can't be detected, and I can just snap it back into place using the Align tool. This comes in very handy if there's an editorial change. Let's say this paragraph gets cut from the sidebar. Now I've got a gaping hole at the bottom of my column, but I don't want to resize the sidebar because it'll cause the main body copy to be reflowed as well. So I need to close up that space with this photo. So I'll grab the photo, the fake sky, and the caption and move it down until its text wrap pushes the remaining copy to fit the sidebar. But now my sky starts too low relative to the inset values of the sidebar text frame. Fortunately, I can just grab the top center point of this frame and pull it up so I can add the appropriate amount of fake sky to fill in the gaps and even out the sidebar. Now my layout is all balanced out to the line once again, and the sky, as we can see here, is no longer the limit. That about wraps it up for this installment. Remember, every application has its strengths and weaknesses, and there's a lot of crossover in the Creative Suite, so take advantage of that. Let Photoshop do what it does best, then keep your options open by letting InDesign do what it does best.
Look for my next episode in about two weeks, but in the meantime, please visit and post your comments on the blog at indesignsecrets.com slash theindesigner. Or if you're just not comfortable with change, theindesigner.com will get you there too. The InDesign Secrets blog works much, much better than my old one did, and you don't need to register or remember cryptic passwords and usernames. Uh, And check out the rest of indesignsecrets.com while you're at it. It's a great resource. As always, you can send your questions to info at theindesigner.com or look for me on AIM or iChat as The InDesigner. So until next time, this is Michael Murphy for The InDesigner Video Podcast. Thanks for watching.